Wait, Matt, did you just say angst? I did say angst because I was using the German pronunciation. Oh, okay, okay. I was going to so, say. Suck it. Freud okay. says, take it, Ethan. You, you can do that as long as I can say, wake up, sheeple. Okay, well, now we've got that out of our systems. Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And today we watched Modern Times. 1936, it's number 78 on our list. Modern Times, Modern Times, Modern Times, Modern Times. It's a Charlie Chaplin film? It's supposed to be the best Charlie Chaplin film according to the ever-seeing, all-wise, all-knowing internet. Yeah, I have never seen a Charlie Chaplin film. Neither have I. Know who the man is, absolutely. Yeah. And didn't know this film was his until I did the, you know, spoiler audio for yeah. last episode. But I have to say, this was an interesting one. I will give it that interesting, yes. <laughs> Why don't we get right into it, Ethan? Why don't you give us a plot synopsis? All right. This is a, a wild film, and so my plot synopsis is... I'm, I'm trying to stick to the plot here as best I can, so... Modern Times is the story of Charlie Champlin's tramp character, who is a cog in the factory industrial machine tightening bolts. The constantly increasing rate of manufacturing leads to his nervous breakdown, which lands him in the hospital. Upon his release, he gets mistaken as a leader in a communist movement, which lands him in jail. After he helps quell a small prison break, he's released with commendation, but tries to land himself back in jail where the stresses of the Depression, the Great Depression that is, and factory life are significantly lessened. In this attempt to land back in jail, he ends up helping a young and beautiful urchin, leading to a love connection. After being released again from jail, he lands a job as a night watchman for a department store in the hopes of making a life with Ellen, the street urchin. An attempted robbery in the store leads to a reunion with one of his factory worker friends, and after getting drunk with them in the store, he awakens in a pile of fabric during store hours and is yet again jailed. In the interim, Ellen finds a decrepit shack for them to live in and obtains work at a cafe that has performing wait staff. She lands him a job waiting tables and singing, and though he fails miserably at the table waiting portion, his nonsense version of the song he's supposed to sing lands him the job. However, immediately after this, truant officers come to arrest Ellen, and the two must flee. Out in the countryside, Chaplin reassures Ellen that they're going to make it somehow. They walk away together into the sunset. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty succinct for this being a almost two-hour film. It's about 150. And, but a few things, though. He, he works. The factory he works in is like a widget shop. Like, it, there's no reason for the things they're making. Right. It's, not, it's just yeah. like a slab of steel with two bolts on it. So it's just kind of heightening the idea of the... I don't know, pointlessness or isolating nature of the factory yeah. itself. But we open with a shot of cattle going into no, it's what sheep. I assume to be a it's slaughter. It's sheep. Sheeple. They're sheeple. There's sheep wandering into what I assume is some kind of factory yeah, um, a shearing or slaughter. Well, sheep, you're typically going to shear them instead of slaughter them. Yeah, I guess you're right. But, you know, lamb is really tasty. All right. And then they superimpose people walking into the factory. And that's the first shot. And I saw that and I said, whoa, 
this is not a film that I thought it was going to be. No, at all. yeah. That's actually my pivotal scene because there's not a whole lot that you can go. I mean, that kind of just lets you know what this film is about immediately. And I think it's just very well done, you know, and I was very surprised to get it back by it. I'm not going to give any kind of audio for it because it literally is just a shot or two and it's not a talkie, right? There is singing at the end, but there's not, it's not like actual words. Well, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of, uh, of, of audio. Yeah, I was getting to that, but the actual speaking parts that exist in this film are all given through machines. Yes, that's true. No one is speaking to one another. There is the factory Henry Ford stand-in, which, you know, Mm -hmm. Charlie Chaplin was very Ford about saying this was a Ford alike. Yeah. Factory owner or operator, like, I guess, commander, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. Probably factory owner, And And very big brother. He's watching people on screens and talking through screens. He's got cameras everywhere, and he's talking through screens. And so it's kind of very... science fictiony yeah but also science fact for 2017 we know cameras and speaking through that stuff is no problem right and it and it's there there's that great little bit where charlie chaplin goes to take his his smoke break in the bathroom and he's smoking this cigarette in the bathroom and the whole back wall lights up and the boss is like get back to work it's very 1984 <laughs> right yes it's so it's big brothers watching is super 1984 so I was really enamored of that, and I loved how only voices you hear are through machines. You know, there's the when they they're doing the um, what they call it, the vitalmatic vid- or something. Yeah, something the, the to, machine that feeds the people. Yeah, yeah, they attach it to your worker, and they are fed, and it saves them time. They don't have to leave the, the the assembly line at all. Right. And of course, comedy ensues. There's still slapstick, and it's you know it's funny here and there. It goes hilariously bad, and force feeds him at one point uh, nuts and bolts. And right. throws his soup at him and scalds him and all this sort of shit. So, exactly. So, the theme of this film is just very early on given to us, yes. and it resonates throughout. And to be honest, I really did enjoy this film. It was long in places for me, but I still enjoyed the fact that a film in 1936 is very conscious about communism and the depression and the industrialization of the world and how capitalism doesn't really give you access to your dreams, right? And I think maybe the reasons that you seem to like it are reasons that made it very hard for me to watch. It it the slaps and maybe I'm just not I just can't handle long sustained slapstick moments, but like these Charlie Chap I mean these are like iconically Charlie Chaplin things where he's like tightening the bolts and they get faster and he keeps running into the guy in the next part of the factory and that guy like pushes him back and then the boss comes and yells at him and then it happens again and again and again and the machine is feeding him and the machine keeps feeding him and it keeps messing up and it keeps messing up and they keep trying to fix it and it keeps messing up and it keeps messing up. Uh and then Charlie you know or when later when he's the waiter, he's he keeps trying to get the food to him but he can't get the food to him because the people keep standing up and dancing and it keeps down and it's and I it's it's definitely really cool what they're doing, you know. I mean, it's ahead of its time, but at the same time, it's also, it's exhausting. It's exhausting to watch, and I had to stop several times in the, in, in the film because I was like, I just can't watch another 20 minutes of Charlie Chaplin running in circles, which I mean, I think is kind of the point of the movie, is that it's you, you people become cogs in the machine and it's it's just exhausting it's very sort of upton sinclair the jungle it's very you know sort of 1984 big brother and very 2017 and it's in its critique of industry and capitalism it's also a little death of a salesman yes yeah, so death of a salesman but it's oh man it for me it was 
exhausting to watch. And this is on the shorter end of movies we've watched on this list. Well, I'll posit this to you, Ethan. When I see these moments of slapstick, I agree that they can be a little bit taxing. And beside that being the point, I think they also illustrate a lot of things we wouldn't get otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm thinking of a couple of different moments, right? The slapstick where he's being force fed nuts and bolts, you know, it's very much on the nose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that illustrates something. But also the fact that they keep tinkering with it, the scientist that created it. I know. Because he's not valuable, right? So right. they're like, oh no, it looks like it's destroying him in these ways, but we'll keep messing with it, see if it works, right? There's no care for him as a person because he's just a cog, right? right. So I thought that was really illustrative of that and then when he's running around if he has this nervous breakdown and gets like the oil dispenser and he yeah. starts flowering everyone with oil he goes to the assembly line over there and starts squirting a bunch of people and they run off after him because they stop the machine but he turns it back on and they have to run back to the the machine to work on it because they're <laughs> slaves to that industrial assembly line right and so i thought these actually showed good moments even though they were you know they're not like uproariously hilarious to me but I think they do add something to it. Yeah, and I will say that there were some genuine moments where I laughed out loud more often than I thought I was going to. And and for what it's worth, Charlie Chaplin is is pretty funny and is pretty amazing in his performance. It's just, this is not the kind of thing. I mean, I think some of it is just that I can't, I can't bear to watch this much slapstick for this long. And I think some of the silence, the fact that nobody really talks, is also kind of draining to me as a viewer because mm-hmm. I'm like, Ugh, nobody's saying anything. We're in this little hell of industry where you're working, 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 and nothing comes. You, you know, they don't. He doesn't. Charlie Chaplin. Ne- I mean, and also the viewers never see the fruits of his labor. Like you pointed out, they make fucking widgets. Who knows what it is? And people are constantly being pulled into machines. Like that whole. There's a, the whole scene where he's working at at the second factory, and his boss gets trapped in the machine, and the work. The lunch hour horn blows and so this guy is literally trapped being like i mean all but being crushed in this machine and charlie chaplin's like well i mean he doesn't say this because he doesn't talk but he's like well it's time to eat lunch and the guy's like get me out of here and so he ends up just feeding him while he's trapped in the machine and he, i mean he's he's so conditioned to like well this is the time that i sit and eat and this is the time that i'm done eating and you know and and he wants so desperately to go back to jail where there's still that regimented you know conditioning whistles to stand up whistles to walk whistles to turn yeah it's kind of what Foucault talks about in discipline and punish right about the idea of discipline and how everyone a little bit earlier than this time period in Europe this was kind of what gave rise to industrialism or the ideas of it of efficiency yeah is that if you do everything by the numbers or by the bells or by the whistles you're saving time you are making more money that way and you are conditioning an individual whether physically or mentally yeah. um, i just want to bring up that you you mentioned that he doesn't talk in this and it's a little draining the silence he had intended for this to be a full-blown talkie he wanted I know. this to be his first outing he had a whole script by all accounts, Charlie Chaplin worked exhaustively on this film, like 21-hour days, sleeping mm-hmm. at the studio. He had to build some of these stuff in his own studio because they just couldn't accommodate it anywhere else. It was He's kind of incredible thinking about all he did to make this happen. Yeah, and I, if I'm correct, all of the voices, because I think we only ever hear male voices, I think they're all him, and I think he composed all this music. So this is really sort of, in a lot of ways, it's an auteur 
sort of production, right? He's in charge mm-hmm. of a lot of this. This is his brainchild, his creation. And Charlie Chaplin, again, for what it's worth, as a performer, is is just fantastic. There's a scene with him in the the department store, and he's on skates, and he's he makes it look effortless. And clearly, it's not. I mean, there's a lot of timing and thought. It's you know, it's there's absolutely he skates backwards a lot, and that's pretty hard to do. I imagine. Yeah, and so. He as a performer, I I see the, I see that I see the sort of like worship of Charlie Chaplin, which is pretty cool. But again, to watch a essentially silent film where it's already sort of like about the hell of industrialization and capitalism, mm-hmm. it was was very draining for me. It's not a film that I'm like itching to go back to. <laughs> well, it's also sort of a love story, and I really was taken with the female lead. I think her name, the actress, is Paulette. Goddard. Oh, she's beautiful. She, she's she's billed as the gammon in yeah. this film. And like you said, her name is Ellen. We eventually find out. It's not really told anywhere, but you can read it off the, mm-hmm. the truancy note there. And you really want them to be happy. Like, you really do want them to succeed. I don't know if they're actually truant officers, but she's underage. She's supposed to be a ward of the state, which makes me a little uncomfortable because Charlie Chaplin is clearly... A, an adult and if she's a hey man it's different times i don't know man this like weird love thing i'm like she's got to be like 16 and clearly and this actress does not look 16 but she's playing like a she's playing a child and that was a <laughs> how old would you say she was at the filming of this mid 20s late 20s yeah if i had to guess i'd say mid to late 20s and they were saying like most of the film she couldn't do anything to her hair or wear makeup she walked into the studio one day with her hair all curled and Charlie Chaplin threw water over her. I think they were married at the time, but still, it's like crazy. Oh, he was married to her? He was married to her for short for a short period of time. Mm. I think she had like four husbands, but I think they were married at least for a couple of years. They did The Great Dictator together. Yeah, which I think is also on the list, isn't it? I don't think so. I thought it was at one point because I did actually look through it. I was like, I thought that one was on as well. I think it's on an older list. Oh, maybe it's on the be sure. before the 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. But in any case, I want to get to my thesis because I really was taken with the plot and in terms of their love story together. And, well, here, let me just give it to you. Yeah. So the modern industrialized world is antithetical to the survival of the American dream and the pursuit of happiness. The quaint life of domesticity that the tramp and gammon wish for cannot exist under the exploitative conditions of capitalism. So I was, I was very much channeling, you know, death of a salesman, which... Uh, coincidentally, I had just taught the day before for mm. my literature class, and that's all about the death of the traditional American dream in that you want to succeed by your hard work, but it's not quite like that. Yeah, know, the figure of like Uncle Ben, anymore. he's the one that went to Africa and exploited slave labor in diamond mines, right? So the American dream is all about exploitation. And so the Henry Ford stand-in at the factory, he's the one achieving the American dream. He could do a puzzle and read a newspaper and just kind of spy on people every once in a while. Right. But people like the Tramp and the Gammon, they can't pull themselves up by the bootstraps and go and get a house, right? It just doesn't work that way. And I would argue, as a 19th century Americanist, I would argue that was actually almost really never the case. The myth of the American dream has always been a myth. Pulling yourself up by bootstraps is... is absolutely created it it's not real it's it's a concept that's created my thesis is not dissimilar from yours i think this is a film that suggests that one can never escape the grinding alienation of industrialization 
only absurdity and irreverency can alleviate it, not not cure it, but alleviate it. And the closest thing we get to that, to, to curing this, is human love and, and, and connection. And, and really sort of walking off into the countryside, right? This is a film that in the last, the last shot, the last scene, reaches backwards to an, a more agrarian style of living that is central to a lot of American identity. As a 19th century American, I agree with you. <laughs> no, but really, you're right. I mean, this return to nature, you see that, you know, speaking again of Delta Salesman, people need to return to nature because it's sort of like the halcyon identity of humanity before the urbanization of the world right yeah. so you get to you know the fact that we're all crammed together there's something about the angst or anxiety that grows there the return to nature is like okay before urbanization before our all these weird feelings of anxiety we get by being so close to one another and not really knowing one another right we're a city full of strangers mm-hmm. the idea of returning to nature is that you've got those nuclear families or the small groups the small tribes in which everyone knows each other intimately and can get along that way which is kind of the you know kind of exactly the same thing we see the gammon and the tramp disappear into the sunset smiling because they're going to stick it out together and i think they sort of abandoned the idea that they're going to be able to have the nice little house by the beach or by the stream or whatever. Yeah. Even the little shack she finds, you look out the window, there's the factory, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the silent, the mostly silent nature of this film only, only increases this sense of anxiety that you're surrounded in very close quarters by people, but there's no real connection because they're not even speaking to each other. Right. Right. And, and some of that is, is the medium, uh, you know, the, the, uh, and the moment in terms of technology. But I think that it translates really well and it stands up really well as, you know, an, another sort of factor in, in, the, in the critique here of modern times. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on, Ethan. You sound like you're getting dangerously close to our three questions. So why don't we just physically uproot ourselves and sit us in there? Yes. And I'll ask you the first question. Do we care about this film? Yes. On on several levels. One, if only because Charlie Chaplin has a resounding effect on film in general that I think we can see in other films we've looked at. I mean, we can think even we can think about the Marx Brothers, right? Mm-hmm. And and in other films here, right? Like the the absolutely, you know, we've got to pay deference to Charlie Chaplin. Two, this critique is of of capitalism, industrialization, urbanization is clear and biting and functions well today. I mean, this is a critique that we're still chewing our way through. I think. Well, this is John Lithgow's favorite film, so of course I care about it. Oh, I love John. This is John Lithgow's favorite film. It is, in fact, uh, according to the IMDb trivia page. I love John Lithgow. But in all seriousness, I have never seen anything by Charlie Chaplin. I admitted that at the beginning of the episode. But I have heard of him. And to actually see him in action and hear about all what he did for this film and to see how heavily thematic and how well wrought that thematization is, I think I absolutely do care about this film. I was very surprised. It wasn't apartment level surprise. Right. But I am I am I am pretty surprised by this film. So yes, I do care about it. Yeah, and I mean I'm I'm with you. I've I've seen a lot of Charlie Chaplin in clips and in I don't know, references in cartoons and other films, but it, it was something to really see him in action over a sustained period of time. 
Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I think he's really straddling this really interesting liminal space between, like, vaudeville and what, you know, cinema becomes. So there's, I mean, it's very much, I mean, the vaudeville, it, it makes me think of um, Yankee Doodle Dandy, right? Like, he is this sort of, he's like, what's his name? What's the damn character's name from Yankee Doodle Dandy? I couldn't tell you. I've forgotten. I can look back at my notes, but it it's doesn't not matter. There on, on it doesn't matter. But the the main character from Yankee Doodle Dandy, right, is totally in this Charlie Chaplin vein. I mean, it's very vaudevillian. It's very sort of old school. Well, I guess Ethan, you don't even want me to ask the questions anymore. You should go ahead and answer. I know. Them I just. I know. You well know our next question is what do we owe? Yeah, and I sort of hit that in my answer to the first question, but I think we owe a lot. I mean, you can't. Charlie Chaplin is such a ubiquitous force in cinema you know you could call so many things the fact that there's a term chaplain-esque and that you could say that and just about anybody's gonna know what that means without even having to see any of it's like when people say bizelle-esque you understand that they're all talking about how i have my particular brand of, of navigating these academic waters yeah they you like like an asshole it's like a (laughs) (laughs) So I think we talked a little bit about it already, but Death of Salesman comes right out of this tradition, and surely Charlie Chaplin is not the first person to say, hmm, modernization, industrialization, kind of dehumanizing, isolating, but definitely does a great portrayal of it in film. Mm-hmm. And I think when you have someone still doing silent films in 1936 when people are doing talkies already, like it's really interesting to show that he's still a master of that form and is still looking to innovate, right? He was trying to work sound in there in interesting ways. And so we know eventually does so, but I think you're right. I think that description you said of the liminal space between vaudevillian and sort of the more modern film, um, that space for, you know, just to kind of give the definition of it, liminal space, kind of that, that meeting place, that in-between state, right? That, yeah. that kind Walking of sweet a spot. Walking line, yeah. It's that little, it's a little part of the Venn diagram where both overlap, you know? Yes, that's a great way to explain it. That's how I explain it to my my college kids. Mm. But it is very much, very much seen as that. I see it as that, right? And I've only seen this one film, but you say like, wow, a lot of modern stuff's happening in this film from 1936. And yet you still have this slapstick, which is still kind of funny, but it's definitely very, very different than what we get today. Yeah, and I mean, in in some way, I mean, he's so so literally walking that that line and you know that and navigating that liminal space because you do have a little bit of audio, you do have a little bit. It's not just music, it's not just diegesis. It is uh, there is there are pointed moments where you hear voices and where you hear sound effects, and there are pointed moments when you specifically don't. Um, and so I think you're right. This like mastery of this of this form or this style that still plays with it right he's got Mm -hmm. it down enough that he can throw in some voices here and you know that this film can be so universally lauded it has this is actually one of not a whole lot of films that have 100 percent on rotten tomatoes wow yeah i remember it was really high on imdb with metacritic and things so yeah well why don't we get to the last question then because that kind of gives us a good segue does this film hold up yeah i think in a lot of ways it does i think in other ways that i've pointed out i mean i think the sort of grind of of the slapstick is is tougher and less accessible for uh, maybe a modern audience but this film is hitting on things that abs i mean you could make this film last month and tell me that it was a you know it's playing with an older form to tell us a new story and i it would be charlie chaplin notwithstanding i think it would translate well i think it's still 
it resonates today. It is genuinely funny and it is genuinely really interesting to watch, albeit perhaps exhausting for someone like me. But yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say that this film doesn't hold up in a lot of ways. Can I tell you one of my most surprised and happy moments in the film? Tell me, Matt. Tell me. When Charlie Chaplin accidentally uses a salt shaker full of cocaine. Oh my god, the cocaine. And they don't they call it they don't call it nose candy. It's something like that. No, though. nose powder or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh shit." Um, yeah, there's a there's a convict who smuggled cocaine. The the feds come in to check him out, and so he hides it. The salt shaker gets taken away. Charlie Chaplin, unbeknownst to him, you know, is using not salts, cocaine all over his food. He does these really funny reactions with it. Oh my! And God, starts yeah. like messing with the guy next to him, and that's when he actually stops that that crime. Is he's all hopped up on cocaine? Yeah, he's fucked up. He's like, and he dodges bullets. He's Neo I know, before he Neo. Dodges bullets. It was so funny. I was very surprised that first cocaine would be a very direct topic of this film. And then for him to like really make it funny and stop this crime while hopped up on cocaine was just really good. I did read that that was kind of a gutsy move to make because... It it had to be. Well, because it's right... I think this is right after all the codes come into place. The codes, right. And so for them to make such a direct drug reference, um, I think... I remember reading that like that was that was a gutsy move and the fact that it made it through the censors uh was was impressive because it's it just is nose powder. Yeah, they're like no, it's just a little bit a little bit of the nose powder and I was like, "Holy shit, are they talking about coke?" <laughs> yeah, so I was really surprised and thought that was hilarious and it was kind of like, you know, mouthy gape sort of moment like that's really funny and that's a movie from 1936, right? A silent film, a silent slapstick film. If you tell me that on paper, I'm not going to like it. And then I did like it. So it yeah. definitely does hold up for me as well. Yeah, I think so. Well, Ethan, this is the end of our episode. We did want to say, hey, sorry for the delay. Ethan told me this off the air. He got Fruit Loops stuck in his trackpad uh, for his Loops. computer. And he couldn't he couldn't get them out. And so he had to take that into the shop. That's why the delay but he got it back. We're back on schedule. They pulled out my Fruit Loops. No, my trackpad just died. It wasn't even moisture. It just went bad. I've just had this computer long enough that, you know. And dear listener, thanks for bearing with us. We're graduate students. We're lo- pretty low tech here. And so occasionally we have these blips. Speak for yourself. I've got a shirtless man pulling levers and spinning dials so that I can talk to people in other places in my factory mm. and scream at them for taking cigarette breaks. That is why the two strange men showed up in my house yesterday with a large machine that they strapped me into that force-fed me corn. Oh, God. No, that's a completely different thing, and you might need to alert the authorities. <laughs> corn? It was corn, you say? I have to tell you, Ethan, it wasn't corn. You were blindfolded. But let's, oh. that's our episode. Oh. My goodness. And, I, and so <laughs> next week we'll be on Patreon watching one of my favorite films of all time, Akira Kurosawa's Yojimbo. Yeah, that'll be fun, Yojimbo. It's it's a black and white, and it's um, going to be all subtitled because it's in Japanese. Yeah. But I, I I dearly enjoy that film, and um, can't wait to talk about it with you, Ethan, and to have our listeners yes. hear us talk about it. But next know, time I'm we're excited. back here on our canonical list, we'll be back with all the president's men. All the president's men. That'll be fun. I haven't seen that, but I know a lot about. Do you know it. what it's about? I don't know anything about it besides like I guess it's about Watergate. Yeah. No, it'll be fun. It's historical drama. Great. 
It'll be up your alley, I think. I mean, not that I mean I haven't seen it, but I think it'll be up your alley more than than other things. Also, dear listeners, I just want to throw something out there. First of all, I want to thank you for tuning in every week. You guys are or every two weeks, or if you're a Patreon supporter, every week. Oh, if you're a Patreon supporter, we have to like really, really thank you. Like, I you know. cannot understand enough how much that means to us. Oh, we're sending a corn machine to them. <laughs> <laughs> but um. I, I do want to say if you're out there and you're listening and we I know we've got a lot of listeners and you're if you're using Apple's podcast app, please take a, a couple of seconds because in the newest update, I mentioned this maybe a couple months back, you can really easily just go right over to the podcast little store part and rate and review us. It it does not take very long and at this point we will take complaints fears hopes dreams questions if you have any questions you want to ask us you can ask them in the rating just say five stars and say what's your favorite color yeah what and i'll tell you hey shit i'll even give you this one for free my favorite color is blue oh look he's giving it all away I, i i won't tell you you have to review us on itunes and ask the question and then i will find you and personally call you up and give you my favorite color you're getting a corn machine from matt (laughs) (laughs) well that's all the time we have i've been matt vizel and as always i'm ethan knight and there will be spoilers because it's a because it's a silent it's a silent film so i didn't say anything (laughs) got him got him again god damn there Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much